from God's word, but also as we come to the end of Exodus. It's been a long journey, but I hope you've picked up a few things along the way. But before we do that, how about we pray? Heavenly Father, we come now to your word and we thank you. And we thank you that you have kept it for us. Uh, and th through this journey of Exodus, we have seen more of you. We have understood more of your ways. And uh, while there are still many questions left unanswered, help us as we continue to search you for you, search after you, and find our answers in you. And so we just ask that you would help us to do that now. In Jesus' name, amen. Prince William and Princess Catherine of Wales were married on Friday the 29th of 2011. It's a long time ago. Anyone feeling old? <laughs> but imagine, <laughs> but imagine organizing their wedding. The huge amount of work and detail that would be involved. And we've had our fair share of weddings. I think many of us have been involved. Can you just imagine, where would you even start? The decorations, the logistics, the invitations, the seating arrangements, the royal protocols. It would be an overwhelming task. And it all builds up to that moment, like any wedding, as Catherine enters the doorway of Westminster Abbey and she walks down the aisle, very long aisle, to be married to Prince William. The message of Exodus culminates here at the tabernacle, God's earthly throne room. This is the place where he will finally meet with his people. He will dwell with them and he will reign over them as king and God. And as we've gone through Exodus, it's probably no surprise. We've seen the immense detail, the preparation and the requirements needed for all of this to happen. For the Lord God, the king of heaven to meet, to dwell with his people. It's a carefully designed, decorated, furnished, specific plan. And what we have here in the tabernacle overshadows any royal wedding. And it's more than just a ceremonial event. We started by saying that Exodus is like a divine marriage. And this is where it comes together as the Lord God covenants himself to his chosen people to the people of Israel. And so in a way, the tabernacle is the sacred chapel where this all happens. And so we come to this final chapter. Then the Lord said to Moses, set up the tabernacle, the tent of meeting, on the first day of the first month. If you skip down to verse 17, we read the first day of the first month in the second year. Twelve months have passed in the first year of the new nation of Israel. The second year since they had been freed from slavery in Egypt. The day that God had passed over Egypt and delivered the tenth plague, the final blow, 
killing every firstborn throughout Egypt. Known to the Israelites as Passover, they remember their salvation and slavery in Egypt. They are no longer slaves now who serve the king of Egypt, but they are now free to serve the king of heaven, the Lord God. They are to be a new nation who would serve God as his priests, his ambassadors to the world. And so all of that drama throughout Exodus from the the freeing of slavery in Egypt to the crossing of the Red Sea to the encounter with God on Mount Sinai, all of that culminates here at the tabernacle as it's set up for the first time. And all through Exodus, we've been talking about how God is finding and making a way to connect with his people. But we've also seen that he's also still God. He can't just be approached so casually. And so the tabernacle is the means for God to do that, to both protect his people, but also give access to his presence. Now, I don't know if you noticed the repetition and the the things that were coming out as we read through that passage. In that first part is the tabernacle is being set up. I want you to just walk through this with me for a moment and try and picture this. Okay? You're approaching the tabernacle entrance. You want to meet with God. You want to worship God. And the first thing you're greeted with is curtains. The first thing, as you come up to the tabernacle complex, is curtains. And immediately you're reminded that God is holy. You're a mere mortal, a sinner. You, You can't just come to God. But as you make your way through the curtains, you're met with an altar where burnt offerings are made. And so you make your offering, you make your sacrifice, allowing you then entry into the courtyard where you can gather with the rest of God's people. Now from there, the priest would take over. He, Aaron or his descendants, uh, they would take part of your offering as is um, instructed. They would take it then to the tent of meeting. They would stop along the way to wash at the basin in the middle of the courtyard, and now they are ceremonially clean. They can make their way to the tent. But again, there's another curtain. And so the priest, having washed, is able to make his way through that curtain. And as he does that, he's encountered, he encounters another altar that is burning incense. And the incense fills that tent with a pleasant aroma. The priest sees the smoke that's rising from the altar and remembers the prayers of the people as they, as it were, going up to heaven. And as he enters that and he takes a whiff of that incense, there's a slight bitterness, there's a bit of spice, a bit of sweetness and an earthly aroma because everything has been anointed with oil that has been scented with myrrh, cinnamon, aromatic cane, cassia and olive oil because everything has been set apart, everything has been made holy for God. As he passes the altar of incense, he then makes sure that the lamps are tended to and burning 
He remembers the story of the pillar of fire that guided the people through the wilderness. He checks that the bread has been freshly made for that day and replaces it if need be. Remembering that there's manna, bread from heaven, as they continue through their journey in the wilderness that God has provided. But then there's another curtain. The most holy place. Only to be entered in once a year and he stops. Because he again sees that God is holy. That this God is awesome. And he knows that behind that curtain sits the Ark of the Covenant. That contains the commandments, the the tablets of stone that Moses received from God. But as he sees all these curtains, as he goes through all of them, there's a deep sense of grace because he is standing in the presence of God. He is not far off. He is not meeting with God, having to go through this endless ritual. He is in the presence of God. And he is surrounded by things that remind him that God is with his people, that he provides for them and he leads them. I wonder how many of us find it challenging, though, to really appreciate those images and the symbolism that's here. In in our modern lives, in our fast-paced modern lives, I don't think we appreciate that quite the same way that the ancients would have. And I'm not suggesting that we replicate that. But I think there's something to be gained as we think of the deliberateness and the purposeful nature of what is seen in the tabernacle. How do we prepare ourselves to encounter God? How do we come on a Sunday? How do we encounter God through the week? How do we take the time? How do we structure our days in such a way that we would be aware of the divine? That as we come to church, that we would be prepared to meet with God. Finding that brief moment as you make your way through the front gate to just stop and remember that it's not just another day. It's not another event. It's not another program in your calendar. This is an appointment with the living God. And if your household is as crazy as mine, then the car ride is probably filled with frustration and impatience as you're trying to rush everyone out the door and get here on time. But even before you get out of the car, to take a moment to just pause and to pray that you might encounter the divine that you might meet with God, that as you're distracted by thoughts of the week, as you're busy with all that's coming in this Christmas season, that you might be reminded of God's amazing grace. That in the rush and bustle and craziness of life, that you might find peace and joy. Because as we sit here, we are meeting with the living an awesome God. And that's what the essence of the tabernacle is 
all about. It's a divine appointment with God. But it's also interesting that what comes next, because all of this is only possible because of one thing, and I I don't know if you heard it. It was repeated over and over in that second part of this passage. Moses did everything just as the Lord commanded him. It's repeated six, seven times in that second part of the passage. And it stands in contrast to what we've heard in the last few weeks, isn't it? Israel's disobedience, their lack of trust and faith in God. Here Moses does everything just as the Lord commanded. Twelve months. It's taken twelve months since they left Egypt for this tabernacle to finally be set up. And we see this detailed account of Moses and likely a team of people working with him, setting up the tabernacle. But the thing that sticks out to me as I read that, as I hear that, is what is written there, as the Lord commanded him. See, every action Moses takes, from the setting up of the base of the frames to the location of where everything goes, You can read about that as you go back through Exodus. It's all there. All the details are there. There's nothing new. Moses is doing exactly as he's been told. Why is this important? See, when an architect designs a house or a building, they follow a particular vision, whether it's a functional one, a creative one, or even philosophical Architects have philosophical visions as well as they build buildings. Um, Go watch Grand Designs. Um, But they, they have a vision in mind as they design a building. And the builder's job is not to question that. The builder's job is just to follow the blueprint, to follow the design, the building plan that the architect has brought to life. If you will, it's the architect who has commanded the builder to do as he's asked. And so what we see here is a reminder that God is king. Yes, he's holy, but he's also king. He is the one who gives his commands. This is his temple. This is his throne room. This is his meeting place, and he wants it a particular way. But also, there's a pattern here. Moses doesn't just take it and go, okay, well, that's, that looks good. I'll, I'll put that there and I'll put that here. No, there's a pattern. and Mo- Moses is meticulous in making sure that everything follows this pattern, this blueprint for the tabernacle. And his job was to bring God's vision to life. And that vision is to be create a space where the divine and the human could meet, where the Lord God himself could meet with his people and his people with him. And we've seen throughout Exodus that this isn't something that you can do lightly. God's glory can't simply be contained in a building, in a structure, in this tent. Because if his full glory was put on display and seen by human eyes, they would die. 
So the question is, how could this tabernacle possibly, how could it possibly serve as a suitable meeting place for God and his people? But after Moses is done, it says that he's finished the work. The music begins to play. The doors of the wedding chapel open and every eye turns to look and see the bride step into the light for all to see her glory on her special day. And then the cloud covered the tent of meeting and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. At that very moment, as the tabernacle is completed, the doors are swung wide open and the glory of God descends in a tangible and real way. So much so that it physically stops Moses from entering the tent. He can't get in. But this is the answer to Moses' prayer that God would reveal his glory. And in doing so, he demonstrates his pleasure and distinguishes the Israelites from all other people on earth. They will continue their journey to the promised land and they would only set out as that cloud lifts. They would stop when the cloud stops. And just as God led them through the wilderness with the pillar of cloud by day and fire by night, he does it now again with his tabernacle. His continued presence is now in the sight of all the Israelites during their travels. There's no question that God is now with his people. At the beginning of Exodus, the people were unable to see God. They cried out to him in their slavery, but it seemed as though he wasn't there. But in this final moment, as we come to the end of this closing chapter, God has heard their cries. He is with them. He is right there in their midst. He has saved them from slavery in Egypt. He has called Moses to be his prophet at the burning bush. He has revealed his power as he delivered them from the Egyptian armies, provided for them through the harsh wilderness. And he has done that so he can have a covenant relationship with them. He has given them a new identity a new purpose as his chosen people, a kingdom of priests and a holy nation to the world. He has given them his commandments and laws so that they might be set apart, that they might be different, that they might be holy, that they might be distinguished from other people. And despite all the challenges that we've seen throughout Exodus, the lack of trust, the fear, the golden calf, everything comes together now as the tabernacle is finished and the glory of the Lord fills the temple. The Lord is among his people. And we saw earlier that this comes together because Moses did everything just as the Lord commanded him. So you might think then that the natural application is that you go and do everything that the Lord has commanded you, which is right in its way, but it's not what I think is going on here. I want to dive into this a little bit deeper. See, why is it so important 
that Moses builds the tabernacle exactly as the Lord commands. Fortunately for us, we have the benefit of hindsight because the writer of Hebrews tells us this. The high priest serve a copy, in a copy, at a sanctuary that is a copy and a shadow of what is in heaven. This is why Moses was warned when he was about to build the tabernacle. See to it that you make everything according to the pattern shown you on the mountain. Moses was meticulous in his instructions and his actions because what he was doing was copying something from heaven. And what is it that is in heaven? What is the tabernacle, the temple, the throne room of God? Moses is copying that which is in heaven. And if you fast forward into Revelation and as you read through it, you see this. You see that the temple is the place where all of God's instructions and all of his commands are proclaimed and his angels come to carry out his instructions. And after everything is done, God stands victorious over the forces of sin and evil. The final judgment is carried out. And the Apostle John then, in chapter 21, sees a new heaven and a new earth. He's led into the new Jerusalem, the city of God. But then he notices something is missing. This is what we wrote. I did not see a temple in the city because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it for the glory of God gives it light and the Lamb is its lamp. The nations will walk by its light and the kings of the earth will bring their splendor into it. On no day will its gate ever be shut, for there will be no night there. The glory and honor of the nations will be brought into it. Nothing impure will ever enter it, nor will anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. I don't know if you're making the connections here. There is no temple. There is no longer anything between God and his people. Nothing. Imagine direct access to God. No more struggles trying to understand what God is trying to say. I know we've struggled as we've gone through Exodus. No more. No more silent groans as we pray, not knowing what to pray, not knowing our thoughts and our feelings. No more second guessing what the will of God is and what his heart is saying. No more guilt, shame or fear as you enter into his presence. There is no more temple. There will be no temple. No tabernacle because they're not needed anymore. No more rituals or sacrifices to open the way to meet with God, to dwell with Him. 
That's what this tabernacle is all about. It is pointing forward to the day that it is no longer needed. And so Moses copies that design. Because that's what it's all about. That God would meet his people. And the tabernacle shows us that God is preparing the way to destroy and to overcome all the things that separate him from his people. Separate us from his presence. No more sacrifices. No more rituals and ceremonial washings. No more need for curtains to protect people from his overwhelming glory. They will live in his light. They will literally bask in his presence as they see him face to face. That's that's the dream. But we're not there yet, are we? It seems fitting, we didn't plan it this way, but it seems fitting that as we come to the end of Exodus, that Christmas is just a few weeks away. Because at Christmas we see the in-between of the tabernacle and the new heaven and the new earth. We see the in-between where God is hidden behind curtains and rituals and where there is no more. And we have direct access to God. And he himself is the tabernacle, the meeting place. What is it about Christmas? What is it that we remember? We remember that the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son. And they will call him Emmanuel. We remember Jesus born of a virgin called Emmanuel, which means God with us. Throughout Exodus, again and again, we see this desire, God's desire to dwell with his people. It's why he saves them from slavery in Egypt. It's why he gives them the tabernacle so that there's a way to dwell and meet with them. But as we come to Christmas, as we remember Jesus, it's another step. It's another step to seeing that come to fruition. God's desire to meet with his people, to be with his people. And that's why Jesus will go to the cross. Just as God saved the Israelites from slavery in Egypt, Jesus goes to the cross that we are saved from our slavery to sin. So that sin and death, the very obstacles between God and his people would be destroyed. And through his resurrection demonstrates and ensures and guarantees that he is victorious. His his victory over sin and death is complete. Through Jesus, God provides another step towards the new heaven dream. Because we no longer need a physical tabernacle. This is not a tabernacle. This room is not a tabernacle where we meet with God. Jesus is. Jesus is the place where we meet with God. And in Jesus we get a taste of that heaven. Because he is Emmanuel. He is God with us. It is Jesus that is our tabernacle, our meeting place, our dwelling place with God. And we're going to unpack this more next week where Jesus became flesh and made his dwelling among us. 
His dwelling, His tabernacle with us. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. And so as we come to Christmas, it's an invitation again to come to Jesus. To come to Emmanuel and remember that God is with us. And as we do that, we too share in the inheritance of this story of Exodus. And the Apostle Peter sums it up well. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. And that's what happens as we come to Jesus. We find ourselves chosen by God for a purpose. We are to become as priests to declare the praises of God who has brought us out of darkness into light. We have a new identity. We are are no longer bound by the things of this world, but we are now God's people. We belong to him having received his rich mercy, amazing grace, and unconditional love. And if you just stop for a moment to think about it, I think that's just mind-blowing when you start to comprehend that. And that's my prayer. As we come to the end of Exodus, that we know that here is a God that desires to meet with us, to dwell with us. And for us, he does that through the tabernacle that is Jesus. But as you do that, you have a purpose beyond the daily grind of life. You have a new identity belonging to God, redeemed by his gracious sacrifice on the cross. And you are filled with his constant presence through his Holy Spirit. That's my prayer. And I pray that as we head into Easter, uh, into Christmas, and Easter next year, but as we head into Christmas, that we might just pause and remember that again. That we have a God who wants to dwell with us and has sent his son to do just that. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we come to you, There are no curtains. There are no altars for sacrifice. There are no smoke screens of incense. But there is Jesus who stands before your throne and continues to invite us to meet with you. We thank you that you, from the beginning of time, have sought to meet and to dwell with your people, and you have constantly sought to do that. And for us, you have done that through the Lord Jesus, through his death and through his resurrection on the cross. And we ask as we, as we continue to remember that, as we meditate on that, or potentially for the first time, consider what that means. 
we pray that we might find a God who has graciously opened his arms to welcome us into his presence. So we thank you. And we ask that you might continue to help us as we do that. In Jesus' name, amen.